0: I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could have me five
1: mil a year, I wouldn't go. Rugby rugby weekly.
2: Mill the first
1: Magic. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, recording from Manchester. Uh, I'm over here for Katie Taylor Fight Week. And if you'd asked me a couple of months ago what I feared most uh, approaching Halloween, it would have been the sound of 20,000 or so English fans breaking into a chorus of swing low, sweet chariot, as Katie Taylor became a two-weight world champion. But that's now a very real possibility as we head into this World Cup final. Sean Farrell joins me on the line from Dublin, and Mary Kinsella joins us as always as well from Japan. Shawnee, how
2: are you? Yeah, not too bad, Gav. Flying it. Excellent. Murray. Yeah great
0: I was actually just talking to James Crombie one of the snappers from Info and he's off to do an event in the middle of Tokyo with a thousand England fans uh, obviously getting ready for Saturday so there'll be plenty of swing lows I'd imagine he wasn't looking forward to that prospect too much and I'm steering well clear of that neck of the woods as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be pretty unavoidable on Saturday night where I am (laughs) but uh, no doubt it'll add to the uh, the overall atmosphere. And um, we will start with the two teams, gents. Um, I suppose not a great deal uh, by way of talking points, but as expected with South Africa, uh, the main man Colby comes back and um, just gives a little uh, assessment as to how they line out, Murray.
0: Yeah, along a expected lines, really. No changes to their 6 2 bench split. So they're going to go heavy and hard up front as they have done for the other two knockout games. Colby being back is a, is a real boost. I mean, he was, he was actually running around with them during the warm up for last weekend semi final. So clearly he was close enough to making that. I think they had a, a fair degree of confidence that they were going to end up in a final. And now, having not risked him in that semi final, he's, he's, closer to fully fit now so he's been electric for them he's capable of making line breaks out of nothing really kick chase kick return even just any breaking ball he's brilliant at that his acceleration footwork is really important to them as a team and I think it'll just add to to their attacking collective really with his ability to to get on the ball they'll obviously look to engineer opportunities for him as well a really important guy but it's a very settled team at this stage Um, you, you look at that the bomb squad they call it coming off the bench uh, six forwards who really could start for anyone who probably some might argue are actually better than some of the players in the team but it's that kind of one-two hit where you think you've got through 60 minutes or 50 minutes against this fearsome starting pack and then these six giants kind of lurch off the bench and, and tear into you even more so that's a strength in their eyes certainly from the Springboks point of view but um, yeah a long expected line certainly
1: Yeah, and Shawnee, the England team, I suppose, similarly, no changes to the starting 15 and just one enforced change on the bench, although I'm not sure if Eddie Jones even calls it a bench anymore
2: yeah structurally it might be a bench i'm not sure if he, he probably has it labeled differently <laughs> but it still has a, a a long plank of wood with a <laughs> with a couple of legs on it but listen a springboard shot. <laughs> springboard for all those finishers that uh that he's going to name to, to finish the game from 60 minutes out but yeah it, it's great it's great to see that that england backline unchanged like it would be so easy and i think we've we've seen that Farrell and Ford Ford have proven interchangeable for that Australia quarter final but I think it's great that England are sticking to the guns sticking to that double playmaker thing that that has worked so effectively for them and, and even the whole George Ford uh, throughout the the middle of a four year cycle might not always be the the most trusted the most marquee player in England that that he's in there holding holding the reins for the for the very big game, and I think it, it really adds that extra di- attacking dimension to England. That uh, the reason we love them now, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, that that obviously that supercharged forward pack with uh, the Kamikaze Kids and Billy Bunapola, Mako, Jamie George, Kyle Sinclair, you know, Maratoshi and Courtney Laws—they're just such a, a powerful bunch, and it's yeah, they're just uh, a force to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah, the people's team. Um, It was interesting on the latest episode of Rising Suns, Murray, to see Jones name his uh, finishing 15 before his starting 15, Uh, really kind of like doubling down on this idea that it is now a 23-man game. And to be fair, we kind of know it is, but um, he's, I suppose, emphasising it more so than most, I think.
0: Yeah, we've kind of been moving this way really with Roby for a, quite a while now, some years really. I mean, Joe Schmidt famously has put massive pressure on his replacements to be fully tuned in, clued in, ready to make an impact and, and first of all, fit into the team as they talked about. Um, and not just kind of come on and take a little bit of time to warm up and get into the, the flow of the game. It's, it's been a, an ongoing process and Jones has very much been an advocate. He does term, his terminology is finishers. They put that on their team sheets and I know it pisses some people off, but I, I kind of like that that focus, that mentality of, of not just being there in case someone gets injured, of actually trying to change the game. And, and yeah, you're right. That was a really interesting part of the latest episode of Rising Suns, which has actually been, you got to give a credit. It's been absolutely brilliant to be fair. The best kind of in-house production I've seen in rugby, um, actually has a little bit of insight and, and I think for fans, it would really help them kind of bond and connect to the team. And actually, both these World Cup finals have done that really well in the World Cup. I think the South Africans have done really good stuff as well. You look at them doing their social media, their video, kind of selfie video in the change room after the semi-final win as well. So both of them have done a pretty good job of of being quite likeable as well. And I think everyone's surprised themselves with how much they're enjoying England going well in this World Cup from a position maybe a year ago where everyone hated A. Jones, everyone hated Owen Farrell and now they're they're quite a likeable team. So yeah, that has been an interesting aspect of it, the finishers against the bomb squad. And of course, it's going to be important. Of course, it's going to be uh, tied in a in a World Cup final and you never know who that last minute uh, kind of hero is going to be. Uh, hero is the wrong word. The last minute kind of uh, influence is going to be maybe it's Franz Stein with his massive long range kicking uh, or a big long range drop goal as we've seen from him or maybe Herschel Yanchis with his, his ability to snipe around the fringes. So I would imagine several of those 16 replacements are going to make a big impact in
2: this game. Just on Rising Suns, it's it, it's. Hopefully, this is the World Cup that that really makes that in-house documentary, you know, something that teams are more open to because it really is beautifully put together from from by England and even from a cinematography point of view and the access to get. Obviously, some teams maybe scarred by Sunderland's experience can can look at. Um, you know, allowing so much access and have it all blow up in your face. And, and that's probably a fear of, of a lot of teams. But I suppose if, if England can double down and, and deliver on on um, all the confidence they had to invite invite those cameras in, then I think it's good for sports, it's good for sports fans because we all just want more, don't we? We all just want to see more of what's going on behind the scenes. And uh, yeah, it's really intriguing look that, that England put together. It'll be bad for us. So, Sean, we'll, we'll be at a job soon because if everyone starts <laughs> doing it that well, then no one needs press conferences anymore. So maybe let's be careful what we wish for. <laughs> I wouldn't have time to work if we're watching watching great uh, footage. So anyway, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> things have been moving that way for a while anyway. Uh, here, Sean, we'll get your thoughts on the game overall then, because obviously Murray and Owen Toulon broke it down uh, from their point of view to an extent uh, on Monday. Um, so starting with yourself um, how do you see it playing out and, and where is the winning and losing of this game from your standpoint
2: winning out like it's 100% a pack isn't it I mean whoever it goes without saying in, in most games but who, whoever comes out on top in, in that forward battle is going to be going to be halfway there um, I, I seen a piece this morning I think it was Rory O'Connor in the independent just outlining how England need a, a fast start and and uh, if South Africa aren't ahead, by, by the time they bring on their bob squad, they, they won't uh, they won't be able to chase the game down. And I think that's that's where where it is. They, um, South Africa will 100% have more than they showed us against Wales and, and in the quarterfinal against Japan. I, I think having even having Cheslin Colby running and training, as Murray said, during the, during the week ahead of the semi final, shows that they were holding plenty back. And even aside from personnel wise, Shape wise, they were just so narrow against Wales, so within themselves. And even though it's a World Cup final, even though Everton's on the line, I still think they just they will show more in attack and more ambition. (laughs) That's uh, it's not saying a lot, maybe because they didn't show any against (laughs) Wales. But uh, yeah, I think we'll see some more of their strength in attack to make a game of it. England, it's all a question of whether they can get anywhere near the heights that that they hit against New Zealand. Uh, I mean, they were phenomenal. I don't think they have to be that good again um, to, to beat South Africa, but it's a wholly different concept or, or prospect fa- facing South Africa just coming up against that pack that is able to match them, is able to to choke them and, and grind them down a little bit and stop them in their tracks, stop them getting that that front football that they, they absolutely thrive of. So, yeah, and I think England ultimately will be smart enough, will have enough... Um, weapons out, out the back to um, to find a way around it and and to ultimately squeak past it. I don't think it'll be um, as uh, as conclusive a, a win as they manage against New Zealand, but I think, uh, yeah, they'll find a way.
1: Murray, mm. it's interesting, just going back to that France game that never was, how even having a week off like that could prove pivotal in England's World Cup Victory if it does play out that way and that's not really to necessarily take anything away from them although maybe in the minds of some there will be a little asterisk next to it but just what Sean was saying there about how they might not need to be as good uh, against South Africa to win like you do wonder and I would wonder this about any team that dumps the All backs out of a World Cup we don't see it too often Uh, Will it be uh, difficult to rediscover that kind of emotional pitch, that fear we've had of maybe Ireland teams three, four years ago, where you just pour so much into a a specific performance that it's very difficult to follow it up uh, a week later?
0: Yeah, I think that's a natural concern from their point of view. And if they do manage to back it up again, well, then it makes it it the best World Cup win of all, the best World Cup success of all. When you consider who they've beaten along the way, all three of the, the... southern hemisphere powers and and if they can co- come close even to that New Zealand performance again then it, you, you have to view it as, as the very best because that was thoroughly comprehensive against what had been the best team in the world for, for several years so I, I think it would be look everyone has their doubts about England getting back there but and, and we just don't know at this stage it is a difficult process to have an emotional peak and an emotional high like that where there was everything from the Haka and and all that build-up and having clearly focused so centrally on playing England in this World Cup and beating them in this World Cup. Um, That was a a massive part of the plan as they've been honest about. It will be difficult to back that up. They do have some very strong leaders and some players who probably delivered their best performances, maybe even of their careers last weekend. Maru Itoje, obviously the the prime example. Um, And there'll be a real confidence bread out of that and and a, a desire to, to back it up again. I I think look, South Africa on paper it's not as difficult a challenge as New Zealand, but they are well primed for a final. They they their rugby probably suits the what is always nearly always a, a completely tense affair, tit for tat. You don't you don't tend to get really open, flowing games in finals. Now that would be a joy if it did happen and you hope that England Potentially get an early score and draw that out of the the Springboks, but like I think they'll be good at limiting uh, England's ability to do that. Their defence is obviously a strength, although there are little chinks there for England to to pick at, and they did that really well against the All Blacks. They, their analysis was excellent, but all those kind of pillars of the game, the the Springboks are brilliant. I mean, you look at the line out. they've lost one out of sixty three in this in this World Cup, which is remarkable effort. It was against Wales last year, and they finally had a. Um, an error at line out time, and it was so jarring because they'd been so brilliant in that area. Um, England have been good themselves. I think they're on what are they on? I have stats here in front of me 92% on their own line out, but um, that's well short of 98.5 for the, the Springboks, and and the Springboks also just behind New Zealand in terms of line out steals as well. New Zealand had the most on average. Um, they were around two and then I think it was Argentina and the box who were, who were next. So they can clearly threaten that area as well. I think the scrum is is a big one as well and you know we probably don't tend to, to talk about that too much in the build-up to big games because none of us are really scrum nerds but the box will definitely view that as an area that they can really get change out of the English. You saw it happen against the Welsh. They got some key penalty scores from that source, even the last penalty of the game to seal it was a scrum penalty as well. And the fact that they have those two extremely strong front rows really really will feed into their confidence in that area like Stephen Kitsov is a world-class loose head on the bench now Joe Marler has been really good but really it was neck for neck between the beasts and Kitsov and Malcolm Marks obviously is a superb hooker and Vincent Cock has been brilliant for Saracens and returned to the the fold with the box really impressively as well. I think they'll view that as an area to potentially get a a nudge on. Their maul is obviously extremely powerful as well and again you saw them take on the Welsh in that area and grind their way to a few penalties. So they have those Kind of pillars and those foundations at set piece to, to really threaten and also look to frustrate the English because we saw what happened when they got their clean line-out ball. They did a brilliant job against the All Blacks line-out defence so that'll give them that confidence. They knew that the All Blacks were going to come at them hard there. They always do. The All Blacks have the best line-out defence in the game to be fair but Steve Borthwick put together this brilliant plan and I told you ran it superbly. When they got that line-out possession we saw how clinical they were even the first try obviously. They had this brilliant power play set up to to give Elliot Daly a chance against Richie Mwanga and he took it brilliantly. And from there, once they got onto that front foot flow, the ability of their forwards to handle, to carry good decision making across the pitch and, and really good shape, really good understanding of how they're going to go after the All Blacks, they they thrive. So I think the the box will be very cognizant of that fact and, and maybe actually trying to keep the ball on the pitch, first of all, but... Um, but also really attacking the line out at source. So that set piece for me is going to be absolutely massive and and that's typical South African strength, isn't it, really? To go after them there and and try and get that squeeze, knowing that you have another six forwards to come off the bench and and make an impact in that area too.
1: Yeah, speaking of in-house content, uh, Razi Erasmus has been very fond of selfie videos. As as you tweeted out, actually, Murray, recently with another (laughs) uh, one of his entries. But, um, you know, speaking about then uh, emotional pitch and things like that um, what did you make Sean of the fact that he kind of announced or confirmed really um, as some would have suspected that he is to step away as head coach uh, after this World Cup final the fact that he announced it essentially a couple of days before that very World Cup final
2: Yeah I've seen some people being a little bit mystified by it in, in our comment section but uh, to be honest I think it was always coming wasn't it he, w- he went back to South yeah. Africa from Munster to take this director's role over a head coach, and then he took over as head coach to to put everything back on on track. But um, I think he's always since he went back to South Africa. Anyway, he's always said he's uh he's there to be a, a director and overseeing, and and uh, I suppose the puppeteer pulling all the strings is uh, is the role he he really wants to be. And as good a coach as he is, and I'm sure he'll still do some element of of on field on pitch coaching, but just not a uh, the day in day out. Um, business of it I, I was just thinking this morning actually when i seen his age he's what 47 is he when when he arrived at Munster and when he did all his uh intro interviews he he said it blatantly said it outright that he wanted to be a, a test head coach by the time he was 50 and he's obviously overshot all his goals by uh by quite some distance and he's in the world cup final so he could be a uh, the most short-lived uh, test coach that that the game has seen. If uh, if he gets his way on on Saturday morning and and bows out the way he wants to bow out,
1: mm, twenty five and out. And um, you know he's made obviously quite the impact. I think that is perhaps why some people are mystified by his announcement. As you say, like it was sort of always coming. It I didn't personally find it surprising, but maybe just the fact that he has made such an impact and has been so impressive in the role. People just kind of forgot <laughs> and just presumed he was going to be their head coach moving forward. Um, because why I suppose if it ain't broke, don't fix it, etc. I wonder though, like just how much he has sort of unified the country. It seems again, are we maybe underestimating the kind of um, that maybe a kind of a national momentum or pride that South Africa are taking into this final, similarly to you know there is a '95 where there's an almost destined feel to uh, what they're. Trying to do and um, Murray, like if you could put some context in, in that, he, like not just uh, naming Khaleesi as captain, which, as he said himself, he kind of was blown away by the reaction to, and it wasn't meant to be some kind of political statement, but people took it as a, a, a sign of progression. Um, but just the kind of uh, the, the, the sense of um, of momentum, I suppose, behind South Africa from a South African standpoint back home.
0: Yeah, it's something that's been mentioned by the South African players and coaches in virtually every press recently. Really interesting today, Razi Erasmus was up again, having named his team. And he said at the start of his reign, he was trying to maybe discourage the players from buying into that, that kind of rhetoric, that narrative that, listen, we can unite our country. He said, let's just focus on playing. We shouldn't have that pressure on our shoulders. But he's realised himself that. Actually, this is more powerful than just being a rugby team and, and a rugby story. And he's actually himself bought into it now. He mentioned the same with Sia Khaleesi. He's insisting that he he didn't install Sia Khaleesi as captain because it was symbolic, the first black captain ever for South Africa. Um, he says it was purely based on rugby and, and the fact that Khaleesi had been a good super rugby captain. But again, it's kind of surprised him just the sheer power of it and how many people new fans and and obviously the, the black population are getting behind the team now at home. And um, I've been following this Guijo squad. I don't know if people are following them on Twitter. They're really fanatic supporters of the box. And, and it's been a joy to see all those videos from from back in South Africa. I think there's there's been a petition to try and get them over here for, for the final. I, I don't know if they were successful, but it does feel like there's new support and um it does certainly from the players' point of view over here, they feel like they're kind of uniting their country. Now, different characters obviously in the squad, some of them really enjoy that, others are kind of just focused on rugby and even uh, Bongi and Banabbi the, the hooker today, he said, It doesn't matter to me if my captain's black or white, if he's the best player, he deserves to be there. And that's one of the things Razi has done well. He's he's picked the best players and, and the people who have been in form. So so that side of it's been really um I suppose, really dependent on the personality and in, in each individual in the squad. But Razzi himself is certainly buying into it. it it's, it's been interesting just to kind of note how he sees this World Cup as a springboard as well. Obviously, they want to win this final and it would be an incredible achievement. But he feels that this is kind of the first step to the box re-establishing themselves as, as a true force. And that's what this year has been about. You know, he, he said, we want to be consistently number one or two or three in the world. We, you know, they were down in seventh at one stage in 2017, I think, after those miserable couple of years where they lost to Italy, where Ireland hammered them, where the All Blacks beat them 57-0. And it's probably uh, kind of concerning for the rest of the rugby world that Razi Erasmus is back there now. He's getting everything in order. He's streamlining the the Super Rugby teams to to work together, to be more cohesive, uh, to get the kind of conditioning program standardised across the country. A big challenge for him will be kind of stemming the exodus of players, uh, as we mentioned before. I mean. Twenty, uh, nearly twenty schoolboys just straight out of school this year have gone off to to sign for European clubs. There are four in the Montpellier Academy. Obviously, we, there's Munster's example with with Keenan Knox now two years into his three year residency period. So, getting that sorted is a big challenge for him, and getting obviously bigger crowds into the stadiums is as well as well as the transformation um, plan. Like they do have a, a strategy in that area, and in the last couple of years they haven't hit the targets. They obviously have percentage targets for for having players of different races in the team and um, different kind of backgrounds in the team. But but that's kind of been failed, I guess, in the last few years. So that'll be a challenge as well for him. But really, all, all the signs are that he's kind of bringing it back together. And obviously, as you mentioned, that that wave of support will be really powerful behind it as well. So I think it's been a, it's been a big seven weeks for South African rugby. And, and it does feel like they really have the nation behind them.
1: Mm, Could be the start of something special, uh, could wind up being special this very weekend. Um, Sean, you mentioned like how Razzie himself has probably surpassed his own expectations or grand plans by coaching, head coaching at a World Cup final at the age of 46, 47, whatever he is. Um, Another man, certainly, uh, who has, I'm sure, surpassed uh, the same expectations is the kind of Irish connection in this uh Felix Jones, a guy obviously forced to retire from the game at the age of 28. And three odd years later, he's heavily involved in, in a World Cup final. It's just a kind of a, a marvellous story and uh, a marvellous turn of events for Jones himself.
2: Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, obviously... uh Poor circumstances to go into for for the attack coach Sways to Bruin having to step out of that job and I think he's now involved with the Southern Kings as as a consultant is that is that his role with the Southern Kings now but yeah super for Felix to be involved in that. Really high grade coaching environment, and he can only learn so much from from being in there. And I think it was Razi probably initially that alerted us all to how sharp Felix was and how good a tactical mind he was when uh, when he got into Munster and instantly promoted him after after Axel died. Brought him up into the right. All the pictures were always Felix standing there right next to Razzie in in all the coaching box, and as Munster were putting this um, brilliant run together in in that uh, in that great season that was uh, marked by by tragedy so early on, but. Yeah, no, tremendous story for Felix. Um you can only imagine what what he has to say. I know Murray was saying over the weekend that he hasn't been quite forthcoming and and you can understand that um he won't want to give any any interviews before uh before the big dance, but uh yeah, just just so great to see him uh succeed because uh yeah, he probably probably deserves a, a little luck in in a rugby career as that was marked uh so often as a player, by injury, he was uh, desperately unlucky to miss out in the World Cup. And, and obviously that neck injury, that that um, brought his career to an untimely end uh, at the end.
1: earlier mm, I thought it was interesting in a piece you wrote earlier in the week that people can check it out on 42, obviously, about Jones. And there's a, a really nice paragraph here about how he has an eye for the finer details, not just in rugby. And you say, even away from rugby, he's interested in how great structures are the sum of their parts one of jones final year projects in his degree in classics and geography at ucd was about the development of greek columns uh but would you have noticed that in him as a player or would it have been known rather uh when he was a player that he was keeping his eye on the, the sort of minutiae and the finer details like looking to improve himself by working probably more so tactically and analytically than physically <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. He was well known as a nerd when he was playing as well. I think all his teammates used to slag him. He was a guy who, listen, obviously he had athletic talent and and he was quick and sharp and his acceleration was a strength. But he probably would say himself, he he got through on pure work ethic and an, an ability and desire to work hard. He was always doing extra analysis, looking at the technical details of his game and... He put a lot of thought into that where some players probably don't. They probably just get coached. They probably go through the, the motions of fitting into a structure and doing their job. He was very thoughtful with it. And I think people like Joe Schmidt obviously saw that potential in him. And obviously Axel as well, who who brought him into the Munster fold. He he coached early enough. I think when he was um, still up in, in UCD, he coached in St. Andrews where he went to school. And and he got a taste of it that way. And and then as soon as he retired, he was you know, he was considering it. He went off to see Conor O'Shea and Harlequins, had a visit there. He went to Northampton to have a look, a couple other clubs um, and then he kind of got into Munster kind of on a consultancy basis really at the start. Um And I mean, I've spoken to people in Seapoint before, his home club in in Dublin, where it all started and where actually he played dual status all the way up to under 20 level. He was really loyal to the club, even though obviously he was under pressure to go to one of the top AIL teams. But they all say from the very start, they felt he had a a potential to be a a coach. He had that thought process about the game always. He was considering how things worked together, why things had panned out a certain way. and, And that was his personality, as you mentioned even outside rugby as well. Um, one thing we should mention, just in terms of him with the spring box, I, I, I absolutely despise the begrudgery towards him that I've seen c- from quite a lot of people. Now, I know I shouldn't I shouldn't judge it off Twitter, but people are just really getting stuck into him but from what I can see. Um, he's not the attack coach. That's the thing we should mention. He, he does basically analysis on opposition individual players and defensive structures and then feeds that back to Razi Erasmus and Jack Nienaber. So essentially doing a, a, a very... A very specific kind of analysis role and, and Razi Erasmus, uh, Erasmus mentioned that he was really influential in the Wales week and in the Italy week in protect, particular because he kn- he knows those players from having worked with Munster for, for several years. He, he knew quite a lot of those guys and he was able to add a lot of detail in that sense. He's not deciding what they do in attack and, and that wasn't even the case really with Munster when Erasmus was in charge and then Johan van Graan. I mean, he's the guy putting into place those plans from from the head coaches. Now, obviously, the you know the monster attack didn't fu- fire on a couple of occasions, and everyone takes responsibility for that. But I think it is very exciting for a 32 year old who is still learning the ropes, really, in this game, and who up to what well, a year or two ago wasn't even sure if he was going to be a career coach. He's he put his masters in kind of sports exercise performance psychology on hold to to get into this, but. It's really exciting for a coach that young, an Irish coach that young, to be involved in this, the biggest occasion in, in the game. And I think it'll be really fascinating to see what happens next for him. Um, Obviously, he's got a massive work ethic and I think he will be much in demand, really, particularly if he's a, a World Cup winner. Um, And then it'll be re- really interesting to see his own philosophy on the game and see what comes out in that regard. I remember talking to Jason Holland about him, Dutchie Holland, who was obviously a a, kind of cult hero and Munster as a centre. He's now with the Hurricanes in New Zealand and, and he's been a bit of a sounding board for Jones. And he said, you know, it'll be interesting to see when he gets his own team because his philosophy on the game, I think would be, Probably actually a little bit different to what someone like Erasmus believes should be focused on. So while he can obviously fit in and, and impress a, a guy of, of Razi Erasmus' stature and, and Jack Nienaber, those guys know their, their game. And he's obviously learning about those styles of play, etc. He's getting all that experience and that'll hopefully then uh, be brought into whatever role he, he does next. So that'd be fascinating to follow. And and I'm yeah, again, you've got to be pleased for an Irish person being in there. I don't really understand the begrudgery that people have towards him.
1: Can, can I ask you just very briefly, at the risk of giving some of these people um, more oxygen than they deserve, like what, in what vein are they begrudging towards them? Like I, I don't even understand it.
0: Uh, oh, so, yeah. Again, I shouldn't most of them, so I can't even check the messages now. But things like, oh, he's he's a great lad for putting out the cones, or the the attack would knock you to sleep, or. Dave the Springboks have got worse since since he took over as attack coach and you're thinking he's not even the attack coach you you, you obviously haven't even <laughs> googled it or whatever but um yeah I don't know I don't get it that's the case with everything now oh, geez anything you post on social media will get 10 negative responses and maybe one nice one
1: <laughs> Yeah yeah well like the other day you you mentioned being me retweeted and I got I think 12 new followers so that is the era we're living in digital influences <laughs> and all that <laughs> <laughs> um look like, just on while we're on the topic of uh sort of good things happening to uh to decent people for whom um for whom things didn't roll so nicely a couple of years ago. Like on the English side of things, Ben Young's starting in the World Cup final two years after having to withdraw from the Lions Squad for what were pretty noble reasons. Obviously his brother's um partner or wife was was very sick at that juncture. and um, mm-hmm. It's some turnaround in, in, in two years. Well, probably turnaround is, is the wrong word, but just a nice um, upturn in, in events. And also, in a, from a purely rugby uh, context, he seems to be a guy who's, who's really back on top of his game now at the moment. Um, he's probably, uh, over the last couple of years, developed into one of the best box kickers in either hemisphere, really. But just uh, there was probably a little period where he wasn't quite at his sharpest, uh, maybe something not dissimilar to what Conor Murray's gone through over the last year, a few injuries here and there. But he, he really seems to be like a, a pivotal, pivotal player and a literally world class player for England now again. Uh, I might throw that ramble to you, Sean.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to go back to two years, it, it really was a such a striking moment of of humanity, really, that that. Rugby players work so much to to reach these Lions tours. And, and there was a guy who was putting he was putting his family first indeed, in as well as uh, as well as by by word. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see, I don't know, do you call it karma or a bit of um, serendipity or something that it, it seems to be coming back to him with this terrific vein of form he's in. You mentioned his box kicks, his, like his service. Off, off the ground is great as well. Um, I think Eddie Jones showed all that faith in him in his form by only bringing the two scrum halves and and uh, really have relied on him so much. No matter um, which of the tens they, they slot in alongside him, he really is the, the fulcrum on, on on which the team works and uh, yeah, his, his service is invaluable to, to getting that back line moving because they, they do move at, at such a serious pace and um, yeah, to, to really stretch teams. And, and he's at the very, very center of it. The box kicks are, are all throughout the tournament they've been on the money really he's he's great chasers and they obviously put some uh decent blocking patterns in, in place as well but yeah he's been absolutely central to and this england team have have done and and their success to to this point
1: <laughs> absolutely we'll start to make a call on it then so I, I know sean you've kind of indicated that you think england will, will have enough and um, was kind of hoping for a bit more of a longer drum roll but sure we'll work out what we have uh, spoilers. Uh, but starting with yourself <laughs> I am running want to mess um, starting with yourself Murray like um, I guess predictions time really but uh, you've picked England to win the tournament from a long way out I presume that isn't changing now but um, just tell us why that isn't changing now
0: yeah I do, I do think they'll get over the line um, I don't know if it's going to be as Comprehensive a uh, uh, scoreline margin maybe as as a lot of people are expecting, unless they do get back to that hundred percent performance against against the All Blacks. I, I find it hard to see them doing that, but I think they have enough strength and they have enough of that little bit extra in attack. The Ford Fire combination for me is is a, it's been a joy to watch really in the flesh and how they mix and match between first and second receiver, how they use those simple screen plays behind the big ball carriers like Vunapola Brothers, Tuilagi go out the back, Elliot Daly has added so much from full back and then their wingers have just been lethal. I know Johnny May has probably been carrying an injury um, and certainly didn't see the best of him against, against the All Blacks, but Watson was absolutely outstanding even though he probably wasn't even one of the Weirdly to say, it wasn't one of the standout or, or kind of headline names afterwards. He was brilliant and he's, his footwork and his sheer pace, it's it's incredible how he's got back from that Achilles uh, tendon injury and, and, and really shining. Um, And all the forwards who can pass as well. Uh, like Sinclair is just superb. He's probably leading the way now in terms of tight head play with his ability to be physical, to, to be solid at set piece, but also to... Turn and, and pull that pass out the back with good timing, with good deception. Um, and there are a couple others like the Vunopolo brothers again who can do that. So there's a lot of different elements to their game. Their kicking is really strong with obviously Ford and Farrell both being good tactical kickers. Elliot Daly's left boot. When Henry Slade comes on, he's capable, as we saw, of, of rolling those lovely grubbers in behind um, and even assisting with a nice little right-footed grubber. Uh, as well against the Aussies so they've got those skills across the board Sean's mentioned Ben Young's box kicking so I, I see it as a really complete team when you put it on top of all that incredible physicality like there aren't many nations in the world who have athletes like the Vunapola Brothers, Tuwalagi, Marwatoje, These guys are once in a generation, really. They're rather four in a generation. It's incredible to have players of that a, a kind of physical calibre all in the same team and having developed their game out to include all those line-out skills, etc. I, I think South Africa have those those, uh, as I mentioned, those maybe pillars to to stay in touch and to make it a bit of a scrap and make it a dogfight. I think Andre Pollard will have to kick really well again, which he did against Wales. Surprisingly enough, actually, his his total kind of percentage for the tournament is, is down around 71%, where someone like Farrell is closer to 80%. So that could be a key thing. I, I thought Pollard probably looked even better with the pressure on him, though, in that semi-final. Um, and some of the kicks he slotted from out wide were really impressive. I, do, I wouldn't be uh, surprised to see them take a couple of drop goals and try and turn territory into quick points and, and keep the scoreboard ticking that way and, and then try and use them all and scrum to eke out those penalties and, again, get that scoreboard pressure. The attack side will be aided by Colby, um, but I think it'll be quite direct still. That That's the way they play. They can score tries. like We shouldn't forget that. They, they've gone toe-to-toe with the All Blacks several times in, in a couple of thrilling games. Um, and when they get the ball into the hands of Colby and Mapimpi. They are lethal. Vili Larue I know hasn't been at his very best but even for the Dialende try it was on advantage I know but you saw him kind of sweeping across the pitch drawing in parks and, and giving Dialende a one-on-one chance so he needs to be at his very best in that regard as well. Pollard and Dialende, in particular are poor passers at that high level of the game but I mean, they're both really good physical specimens. Diolanda is such a good ball carrier and he hit, he hits really hard. I think he's actually a bit underrated in terms of what he gives in, in that gain line. Pollard's a big boy who, who can defend very well as well. So they have strengths to, to maybe compensate for a lack of creative passing ability. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see what extra layers the box have because... While they have those pillars to stay in touch, I think they'll need to just show something a little bit different, something a little bit surprising maybe, even if it's a strike play or, or something like that. A, a tactic that we haven't quite expected. They do have a bit of a genius in Nienaber, the assistant coach who, who studies a lot of footage. And obviously Felix Jones has been feeding him even more footage in this World Cup. So I'll be intrigued to see what they try to add on top of it. But I can't at this stage. I can't see England losing. I think it'll be maybe a five-point win, but I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if they lose this final.
1: Yeah, are you uh, comfortable with that margin, Sean? Five points or so, or could you see England getting the job done a little bit more comprehensively as they did last week?
2: Yeah, I think the bookies have it at, at five points at the minute as well. Uh, it It's not beyond the realms of possibility that South Africa do pull off a shock here. I mean, we're both very much leaning England's way. I think all the form, everything we've seen so far would, would suggest that. But there is that unquantifiable factor of, of when two big backs go head to head. And and if Faf de Klerk, Andrew Pollard, Cheslin Colby can turn England around enough to um, to get them playing in, in the wrong part of the field and, and um, eke penalties out and, and get Pollard. The South Africans love talking about their three six nines pressure. And I think that's that's how they go about that's how they go about winning. Um, I think five points sounds about right. I think if England get ahead early by 30, 30 minutes halftime, I think it'll be seven twelve maybe because because uh, it will be will be tough to South Africa force South Africa to reel them in if uh, if the game gets away with them and, and England get on top. We've seen with Saracens uh, and England against Ireland twice uh, this year that just how good front runners they are. You know they they get on top of you. They start shouting at every. Every penalty win, every free kick win, their hands are up, um, they're cheering, and and it really grinds an opposition down mentally and physically uh, every time they do that.
1: Yeah, it's it, it. I don't know. It's hard to hard to see this game not registering on the Richter scale or something. I'm just thinking <laughs> of thinking of those two packs. Um, it's going to be an absolutely fascinating encounter. Really looking forward to it. If not quite the uh, prospective celebrations at the end of it, although as you mentioned. England have been a joy to watch throughout this competition. Gents, we'll leave it there. So, um, thanks a million for joining us. Uh, Shawnee in Dublin, Murray in Japan, and we will catch you again later in the week. Um, But until then, enjoy the game and have a great weekend. Take it easy. I
0: don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't
1: go. Robby Robby Weekly.
2: pass, and go! Go! Oh! Drive Magic! You're not alive boys so you start kicking when the real-